Documentation is like always a dirty word. Yep. You know, documentation that I really liked was stuff like Stripe or stuff like Twilio. Like those are the ones that get brought up all the time. You know, at no point should you know both of you be seeing the same docs because you have different needs, different requirements, different skill levels, different API keys, different everything. I do wish that API docs were a little more use case driven. Talking about branching docs into like four different types. One of them is reference. One of them is tutorials. And then there's like the how-tos that are like, I just want to do this. It's like a recipe. And then the fourth one is discussion. I don't think documentation is just paragraphs of text. I don't think it's just reference guides. I don't think it's just support forms. I think you need kind of a healthy mix of, of all of that. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. In the house, we've got Jessica Parsons from Netlify. Hi. <laughs> Do I I'm sorry. I guess this is the part where I introduce myself. We're yeah. keeping this. This is definitely staying in. That's all right. <laughs> we've got the other Jessica. We'll keep all this in yeah. for, the, hey, there, there for are, the record. There are a few, you know. Cool. Um, so Jess, what do you do at Netlify? I am a documentation engineer, which means that I write the docs, I code the docs, I come up with projects for making docs. Cool. Mm -hmm. Documentation are all related. (laughs) And then also in the house, we've got Gregory Koberger. Hi. (laughs) Okay, uh, my name's Greg, and uh, I'm the founder of Readme. So uh, also documentation stuff, but more as a platform rather than like specific specific documentation. Awesome. So you mentioned Readme. What is Readme? Okay, so we got the name obviously from uh, the file that comes with you know every every software package, uh, which has been great because uh, all my friends last year started watching Mr. Robot, and I got a bunch of texts being like, "Oh my god, they talked about your startup in Mr. Robot," and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, no, that cost a lot of money. That that was a big marketing deal." But yeah, we do uh, documentation, and kind of the the premise or the hope is, um, yeah, we do documentation, but. I really want to push people towards less static documentation and try to, you know, there's always going to be paragraphs of text and explanations, but hopefully we try to show rather than tell, and that's where we're trying to trying to push documentation. Mostly API documentation is what we do. You know, the documentation is your UX or UI for your API. It's how people interact with it, and uh, we want to make kind of as like like any website you go to, it knows who you are, it knows what you've been up to. API documentation tends to be very static and show the same thing to everyone. Our goal is to try to make it as um, you know, knowing about the user as much as possible, uh, tailor to the user. Maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your 50th. If it's your first time, you probably want just to get an API key and learn the basics. If it's your 50th, maybe the site's down or the, or the API's down or your credit card expired or who knows what. So, uh, yeah, kind of trying to take documentation. The reason we started was trying to make documentation a little more uh, lively. Awesome. So, when you say you're making it more lively and also like uh, improving this through the APIs, what does that look like? Are you like looking at my code and then writing docs from that? Sure. So uh, you still it's still a platform where the the person would be writing their own docs, of course. But there's a few ways we try to make it a little more interactive. Uh, the first is with the community. We have support forums. We have you know anyone can suggest edits, things like that. The goal is to kind of allow the users to kind of ask questions and make changes and and help you build your docs. So it's interactive in that way. 
but more so like we have um, if you're an API, we have Code Builder where uh, you can pick a language, Python, Rails, whatever. You can kind of fill out some information. You can copy and paste the code snippet. Um, you can test the API out in line, and you can log in stuff like that, and hopefully you know see your API keys and have that all embedded. And uh, yeah, we still have lots of paragraphs of text and stuff. But our our goal is um, always has been, and definitely over the next few months is really to kind of give people really interactive ways to consume and uh, learn how to use an API. Yeah, documentation is like always a it's always a weird word. Before I came to Netlify, because documentation is the best there. Um, <laughs> It was like more of a dirty word. Yep. It was like a thing that we just did like after the fact when we had like time between sprints, mm-hmm. and it was like less of a, a focus. And like despite the fact of like literally GitHub like initializes every repo with the readme, like you have that option. Most readmes are like really like scarce. So did you did you see that and like see a need to? Oh, I'm with you. I'm, that a, gap? I'm a horrible at documentation. I'm horrible at all of this. Um, so you started a company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's I came from the opposite way, which was not that I liked documentation writing or whatever, but on the flip side, though, I loved using good documentation. And you know, documentation that I really liked was stuff like Stripe or stuff like Twilio. Like those are the ones that get you know brought up all the time. Mm-hmm. And one thing that frustrates me a little bit is that you know Stripe's great, and I have nothing bad to say about them, except and this is a side effect is that. They they popularize this two column or three column layout with like the black sidebar and everything and like I think the takeaway a lot of people had was Stripe stocks is really good I want to look like Stripe stocks which sure it's pretty I'm not denying that but the reason why Stripe stocks are so good is because there's a lot of things they put into it you know it it knows about the user like it knows the most recent calls you made like the example API responses are actually like your API responses it knows your API key they have this really cool thing where if you Let's say you've never heard of Stripe before, you never used it. You go for the first time, you haven't signed up. You can copy and paste a code snippet with an API, a random API key in it, and then when you sign up, they actually assign that API key like right to your right to your account and stuff like that. And they just have done such a thoughtful job of everything that yeah, the design's great. But the reason why people love their docs, I think, isn't the design. And uh, if there's one takeaway I could push on people as far as Stripe goes, it's that. Again, looks are fine, but the reason why you really like it is because it's so well integrated and it's not a static site that could be. Uh, I know that now if I'm a static site generator, keep, but you uh, keep using that word and you're using static to mean something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm using static to mean like PDFs, of course. Whereas yeah. uh, Netlify, obviously, the the assets are static, but like you know, it's still there's still a lot of stuff going yeah. on that's not static. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to use static as a dirty word when. Uh, well, and it's a popular thing yeah. in docs right now. Mm-hmm. Like static site generators are really taking off Precisely. in docs, yep. and um, but not necessarily static. Yeah, static. Sites. I mean, in our like our we use React, so everything's uh, static in the way that uh, Netlify talks about static, I guess. And you know, we use APIs for the for the live stuff. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I realized when I kept using the word static that what I meant was <laughs> what I really meant was like. Uh, one of our number one requests, I think probably is our number one request, is PDF generation, and mm-hmm. um, that's what I mean by static. Is mm-hmm. uh, if you know, at no point should you know both of you be seeing the same docs because you have different needs, different requirements, different uh, skill levels, different API keys, different everything. So uh, yeah, when I say static, I don't mean uh, it can't be uh, used. You can't use Netlify. I mean yeah. that uh, you know it shouldn't so, be. The do same you guys problem. do PDF generation? No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, that'd be interesting. I guess if someone wanted to like make a book from their documentation, it's a lot of just. I think it's the bigger companies where they're just used to it. Especially in, I don't know why. I don't know if it's worse internet or whatever, but it seems to be um, international companies seem to care a little more about PDF generation. It's less and less of an issue, but I think airplanes and stuff like that are a reason. 
at the end of the day, I also don't, I don't even know if people really need it or if it's just something that people think they need. And you know, yeah. as far as product stuff goes, I'm sure you guys at Netlify get a lot of those like, do you really need this or do you think you need this? Because you've had it for the past 20 years. So I'm um, like an ages-old checklist that yeah, they just yeah, always yeah. have to make sure before picking a new tool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't do PDF generation. There's a few people who have written like open source tools that like scrape the site and turn it yeah. into PDFs. So there's, there's a few React ones. Yeah. So you mentioned checklist, uh, mm-hmm. Jessica. Mm-hmm. Do you have a checklist that you, when you approach a new project or a thing you want to use, that you are looking for in the documentation? I wouldn't say that I have like a list, but yeah. <laughs> but the interactivity just... okay. is actually really really awesome. That it's not something I could put onto a checklist as well, though, because. It's not as common as I would like it to be. Yeah, I agree <laughs> you know? with that. Even on readme sites, it's not as common, mm-hmm. and like that's definitely partially our fault, and it's definitely just partially that people don't think about. It, I guess like even just code snippets, something mm-hmm. like when I use documentation, the first thing I scroll to is I don't read the paragraphs with text. Yeah, you copy at and first. paste. <laughs> yeah, and then when when that doesn't work, then I'll go back and read. And mm-hmm. um, there's a company I really liked, and I'm I don't know much about them, so I probably shouldn't talk too much. But uh, here we go. Uh, it was called <laughs> Runnable. And uh, they were trying to like do documentation in a new way, and there was no. It was literally just like containers that you could run sample code in. So the whole point mm-hmm. would be that if you know Netlify were to use Runnable for their documentation, it would be like you just create like thirty code snippets that could be actually like they had some sort of like technology that like would run it and all that, and you could like make edits and stuff and run it, and it was really cool, and I liked it because. Um, it was very use case driven. It was very you know you could play around, with, you could tweak it, you could use it. They've kind of switched a little more to being just containerized stuff. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing now, and I think it was too. You can't have just examples, of course. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you, you yeah. actually need like the need reference more, that yeah. goes with it. But I did like the idea that like they're kind of focusing a little more on use cases because um, I think all too often API documentation tends to be very. Written in the mindset of the developer, as opposed to written in the mindset of what do people actually want to use this API for, and you know endpoints are very much like post slash user slash whatever, and you can figure out what it's for. But like, I do wish that API docs were a little more use case driven and mm-hmm. a little more heavy on the examples. And you definitely need text to come with that example, but. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a happy medium, I think, where I don't think we should be going like, yeah, here's this code sample, just go with it. Um, but we mm-hmm. also, you know, interactive examples where people can play around with and touch and feel it. First of all, make it developers happy, and secondly, make it possible for non-developers to use it because mm-hmm. we're getting to the point, I think, where people are becoming more and more tech literate without being programmers, and bridging that gap is is really really important. Like Stack yeah. Overflow engineers, yep. <laughs> uh, which that yeah. shouldn't be an insult necessarily yeah. because, like, you know, I'm. Do my own taxes, and I'm really shitty at that. I do like my own, like everything. You know, if people want to build code, they don't have to be have a CS degree and do it yeah. full time. Like, you know, there's so many cool things you can build just to automate. Like, Netlify is a great example. I feel like you guys know better than me, but like, I assume that a lot of your customers don't have CS degrees or aren't programmers. Mm-hmm. They just want to make a blog. They want to make a little app. They want to just build something. I think it's gonna happen more and more. And yeah. to bring it back to Netlify, I guess uh, you guys are just static stuff with you know APIs in the back end and. Uh, yeah, it should be easy for people to kind of cobble together three or four APIs and build something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think our our users, customers, they they kind of spread mm-hmm. around. Like, we do have a lot of beginners. We do have a lot of like people coming from the PHP mm-hmm. uh, world who they could just throw together mm-hmm. some code snippets mm-hmm. and combine them, make an entire app. Uh, but then we also have like very advanced developers who just don't want to do all the manual manipulation of their CI and continuous delivery and stuff yeah. like that. So 
it's it's hard to pinpoint like our customers in the like one bucket. Yep. Uh, but we, I, I think we, Jessica actually handled. Yeah, I started some making buckets, and I started, yeah. <laughs> I came up with like eight buckets, and I was like, this, wait, this might not be useful anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's let's fill all these buckets all the time. You have yeah. one hundred twenty thousand different buckets, where everyone's a unique and slightly different. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that for like runnable code and examples, I think uh, so. React Docs, they have mm-hmm. some. It's a uh, Repolit, so I should actually have. Um, Amjad actually on the podcast who runs Repolit. Someday soon, Amjad, if you're listening. But um, <laughs> anyway, so they do code snippets. Jess also has a bunch of code snippets as well. Mm-hmm. And then another really good example that, like, sort of, I think they probably got it from Stripe, uh, Graphcool. Their docs mm-hmm. actually embed their, like, the Graphcool key for your project, that your database, is injected in the examples as mm-hmm. well. So when I was learning how to use GraphQL through Graphcool, like, all the examples, I was, I could just copy. Throw into my code because it had my keys and everything I had related to me. Yep. It's nice when you don't have to copy the code and the key like yeah. every time. It's yep. so <laughs> yeah, that's great. One thing that uh, always really bothers me about docs is when there's just absolutely no code snippets. Like it's just so impossible to to recompile a code snippet as an engineer from like a list of parameters and a list of URLs into like Python, Rails, whatever. Like there's only let's say be generous and say there's ten languages that you know ninety percent of people write. It shouldn't be that hard for doc writers to really have good, good examples. I think that can be copy and pasted in a bunch of major languages. And you know, if you're using an esoteric language or a random language, fine. But um, you know, if you do JavaScript, PHP, Python, Rails, Java, and like maybe three or four more, like that's pretty good. And it kind of allows you know you do the work once, and your your users don't have to do the mental energy of like piecing together and oh, is this URL encoded? Oh no, it's not supposed to be. Is this you know? Oh, I forgot to he- pass this header in. Like, code snippets should be pretty, in my mind, pretty pre-generated and yeah. ready to go. So you mentioned before that you, you you started README because you had a problem that you do you wanted to solve properly, but you didn't want to actually put the effort as like an engineer and like my problem <laughs> where like documentation was an afterthought. So now you're actually in like this documentation like community. What is the community like? I know, Jess, you actually speak at a couple. Conferences in the past and meetups, mm-hmm. I believe, and uh, I know you've, you've spoken at meetups. So, mm-hmm. collectively, is what's the reception for automating your docs and being able to make this more entertaining? Oh, it's big. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of talk about it in uh, like the Write the Docs community, yep. which has conferences and a Slack channel. Which, if you write documentation, I highly recommend it. Um, and a local. You recommend up. the Slack channel or writing documentation? <laughs> <laughs> Both, but if you do write documentation, I recommend the Write the Doc Slack channel and their conferences. And they have a local San Francisco meetup and meetups in other areas. Related to some of the things with the uh, checklists or types of docs, I went to API the Docs in London, which is like kind of a branch off of Write the Docs that's API documentation focused, and they're based in. Europe and have done like some conferences there. And I saw a great talk by Daniela Proshida that I probably pronounced that wrong. I was um, impressed. So you should have just gone with it. <laughs> I was thinking, damn, that was good pronunciation. How'd you get that right? And uh, he's done it in a few different places, but talking about branching docs into like four different types. And one of them is reference, which mm-hmm. is just like listing like what all of your different endpoints are mm-hmm. or something like that. Or one of them is Tutorials, which is more like he uses a metaphor with cooking, where you like take recipes. Uh, yeah, the tutorials like you're like hands on with someone in the kitchen, and you're taking someone new like step by step through the thing. And then there's like the how tos that are like, I just want to do this. It's like a recipe. Just show me that thing. Like, how do I get an RSA key? I'm going to go to that GitHub 
dock for it again. And like, and then the fourth one is discussion or things about like the tech behind it. And I think all of those things fit in there really nicely and making sure that you cover all those bases is good. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that may have come originally from uh, Jacob Kaplan Moss wrote a really good article like five or six years ago. And um, most mm. of uh, API documentation has kind of been based on that, where they split up reference guides, tutorials, and uh, topical guides is what uh, he called them. So like same exact thing. But I mm-hmm. like that uh, uh, Daniel, did you say his name was? Yeah, Daniela. Daniela, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put in the uh, the discussion stuff, because I think that's really important too. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I kind of find that's like the Wild West, where as a doc writer, you're supposed to be telling a story to a certain extent. Like mm-hmm. There's so much stuff you could put in, and you don't want to put everything in, because then you just have really long docs that aren't relevant to people. So I'm a huge fan of... Um, Making the docs kind of the actual docs cover the eighty percent use case, and then kind of let the support forums, FAQ, like a good search, kind of cover the other other eighty percent and the longer tail stuff. But uh, yeah, I also uh, agree that the write the doc stuff is pretty um, pretty good. Um, I found that I get invited to speak at two types of conferences. One is the writer centric ones, and the other is the API centric ones, and they are two very different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of in both because, like, my talks are usually you should automate this stuff and you should spend time and focus and write out this stuff because, um, you know, a lot of times the API communities are very much into like just auto generate everything and you're good to go. And I think you should definitely be auto generating a lot of stuff, but you should be auto generating like the reference guide parameter type stuff. And if that's all you generate, then if that's all you have and offer, like, that's like using handing someone a thesaurus and say like learn English or a dictionary. Like it's it's very it's a reference guide. And it's supposed to be just a reference. It's not supposed to be your entire documentation. Whereas I've actually been really impressed. Uh, write the docs when I started going to the meetups. Like there was really no automation. It wasn't really a part of the conversation. And like now it seems to be a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, it's really picking up. Yeah, and it's it's I think a lot of people think it's like this or that, but it's hundred percent not that. Um, there's things that computers are way, way, way better at. Like if you've got hundred endpoints and you want to have code snippets in, you know, twenty languages, like no human being can possibly do those without causing issues. Whereas, you know, computers are great at that. Whereas like computers have no idea of the context. They don't know which of the hundred endpoints is more important. They don't know which go well together. They don't they can't explain the philosophy behind it and why you'd want to use the API and why you'd want to use a particular endpoint and how to use it and stuff like that. I feel like now that the conversation is sort of turning to not one or the other. It's sort mm-hmm. of bringing both into it. That like I feel like tech writers kind of resisted it at first because often developers were like, "Oh, well, we can just generate it all, and that's yeah. all you need. You get yeah. a swagger file, and pff, you're done." Yep. And like then the writers were like, "Well, no, you actually need a little bit more than that." And then, but now they're like, "Oh yeah, we actually do need both." And now they're working together. And yep. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You you bring it up that the two different communities are now converging. Uh, I guess. A, Sort of converging. If we zoom out really quickly, I just had a thought. Do you think it's because the term full stack developer is now more of a dying term? Like before, we had people who could touch everything, pretty much all parts of the stacks, they could do everything. They could also write docs in, in addition to that. And I think it seems like now, even in the programming world, like we're starting to realize there are edge cases that you can't just cover with only one solo developer. You have to have a specialization like a documentation engineer. I bring this up also because. Next week uh, is like DevGill, which is a heavy bits conference. And I went to last year's 
actually last year's last year's, so two years ago. And uh, <laughs> one really good uh, uh, talk that I got from the the guy from HashiCorp, and he was talking about like zero to getting your project up and running, and that whole story between of like they they found out about README. Okay, what's the next step of like actually getting this project running? And that story can really get really awkward if it's just reference material. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, run this command, run this command, run this command. Okay, you're good. But you have no idea what you just did. And I think that story, like the in-between is definitely needed. And I think I'm glad to hear that there's people talking about this because <laughs> I've been in a point where like I remember when I first learned Node back in the day, and people were switching from like zero dot eight or all to twelve or whatever the that problems was. There was hardly any documentation on some of the node libraries I was trying to use, and it was painful. It was just all <laughs> command line things that you just did. Mm-hmm. And it all usually goes along with something that says, it's easy, you just <laughs> yeah, do simply, this. And simply then, do yeah, this. <laughs> simply do this. And then it just shows like lines of code, which like I teach a lot of new developers. And when it just says, it's easy, and then shows you a command line line, and you're like, wait, does that mean I have to go into the terminal thing? Like, What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and there are people who could... Totally use your stuff that just haven't used that yet, and yeah, not I've, that you have to teach everybody to use. I've the had people line, call me but, out on my. I do some tutorials as well, and people call me out on. Sometimes you do like a command line like thing to run. You put the dollar sign first to yeah. show it's like command mm-hmm. line, but new developers will be so confused about yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's not like, obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious for like me. I wouldn't think twice about it, but yeah, it's yeah. not obvious. It's like, oh, I run the dollar sign. It's nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we started doing this thing on some of our site where like we'll have a node snippet, but you can like. Click in, see like how to install Node, and you can kind of like zoom in if you need to do that. Like uh, how to install the request package, stuff like that. That like even just giving a code snippet, even if the code snippet's perfect, where do you put it? Like I don't yeah. know. Like I remember the first time, like I was like, "What do I run this?" And like the command line. This is years ago, and mm-hmm. and I'm like, "How did you know that?" Yeah, and I was well, like, and blown then away. it's like where in the command line? Yeah. Like that's a big thing too. Yeah. Like do you do it? In the project folder, do you just do it anywhere you feel like in there. Yeah. Like, and it's different too. Each, it's just different. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. But yeah, I, oh, there's one thing I want to touch on that I think, um, as far as writers go, I feel like I don't see README as necessarily being like a platform for writing or a platform for auto generation or anything like that. Like, it's kind of more like usability, and people express usability in different ways. Like, I think tech writers are usability, and their tool is via. A language like writing paragraphs of text and stuff, and there's bad tech writers, of course, just like there's bad anything else. Um, and the bad tech writers don't think of it that way, but the best tech writers I know think of themselves as kind of like usability type people that just kind of happen to express themselves via, via paragraphs of text. And that's what I really like about um, going to like write the doc stuff is that it seems like the good writers tend to be phenomenal. And like I don't know how some companies are so lucky to get such good writers. And it really shows when you get to good docs, and a lot of times you don't even realize it because you're just like, oh, this is really easy, and you don't realize like how important the curation on the side of the writer was and stuff like that. Because it's really easy to write docs, but it's really hard to write docs that are easy to use. It's kind of a tough balance between automation and you know making it so that one click and just magically works, and you know giving people a way to kind of actually write the docs and and all that stuff. So that's kind of the balance mm-hmm. we're trying to strike. So you mentioned finding good writers. So Jess, you you have like a, a entirely different background that you didn't really mention. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your background and how um, you got to this point? Sure. I was originally trained as a teacher. I taught elementary school and first through eighth at one time or another, became a technology coordinator for school, progressively did more and more technical roles, started making websites about 10 years ago professionally. And somewhat recently decided to kind of mix those two things together, the teaching and the coding together. And I teach 
workshops and I also for a little while taught for a boot camp and reminded myself that I don't like teaching all day long. (laughs) (laughs) And now I like being able to mix it and actually have like time to code and time to write and time to show people how to do things. Yeah, which is awesome because you always bring a different light to our documentation. Well, you showed that really quickly because our documentation is very dry. Um, I think... (laughs) Beginning it, I think most customers kind of realized this as they were using it. Uh, but you bring more of like the bringing the why and like mm. the how did you get here to our documentation. So I appreciate you being on the team. <laughs> well, thank you. Know, you. Just, uh, I'm really opening up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, like I think a lot of it is just finding people with more than just one skill set. So like it's great that you can generate lines of code from like C plus plus commands. Mm-hmm. But it's also great if you like read books sometimes that are not technical, so that you can get that more like. Mirror the world so that way people who want to come in new and not understand it can find that sort of story uh, between the code. Yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, the, your API has one use and that's to be used. And anything you can do to make it used is great. Twilio just released something that was like a GRC. It was a game where like you like play along this like old school like eight bit type game and like you learn how to use Twilio. Like why not? Like anything you can do to get people to use your API is awesome. And uh, yeah, if it's a little more fun or lighthearted or explains things, like no one wants to read dry paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of text. Like, and APIs are getting easier and easier to use, which means that it's not like you know one of those old like you have to like get a gigantic book of how to use this system or something. Like APIs are pretty easy to use, and uh, yeah, anything you can do to make them easy to use, like that's kind of. You know the umbrella that we consider documentation. I don't think documentation is just paragraphs of text. I don't think it's just reference guides. I don't think it's just support forms. I think you need kind of a healthy mix of of all of that. So that's kind of our uh, our niche. Well, I think it's interesting too that you say like, well, talking about for one thing, I think a big thing about teaching is putting yourselves in the shoes of the people who are trying to learn mm-hmm. it and knowing that there's like a lot of different like there might be the people who are just like, tell me the the commands that I can do. I know what to do with them. And then there's the people who need more guidance or things like that. But one thing I like about your emphasis on having stuff be different for each person who comes is that really reminds you that because you can make this dynamic and specific to each person, like it makes you think about that and what that means to make it specific to each person. So what does this new person come in? What what are they going to need? What's this person who mm-hmm. comes in like they've done it lots of times? And because like talking about the nobody wants to read paragraphs and paragraphs and text, but how do you handle all of those different use cases mm-hmm. in one single static mm-hmm. page, like that's where the interactivity comes yeah. in. <laughs> it's really that's why uh, you know O'Reilly books are so gigantic because they're they're aiming for like all sorts of skill levels and they have no way to know. You know, can I just give you is a dollar sign enough to signify that it's command line, or do I need to write a paragraph of what the command line is? Mm-hmm. And and it's really tough. And obviously, there's no way to magically know people's skill levels. So. We don't really do a great job of this. We do it a little bit here and there, but like kind of letting people like self-report and like expand to get more information is kind of the 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 path we're trying to go down as far as like showing as little as possible right away and letting people like delve in and kind of like expand and get more information about like how to install Node, how to what is Node. I don't know anything, where should I start? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's also people who documentation is important to that will never write a line of code. Like um you know, a manager might need to be sold on something. So there's a lot of marketing stuff involved in documentation. There's a lot of DevOps might need to know security stuff. Who knows? Like there's it's there's many, many different audiences for documentation and they all need different stuff. And all too often I think when I when I write documentation, I know that I'm very bad at like putting myself in other people's shoes. I'm just like, yeah, of course you just URL and code that or of course you have to include that header. Like it's just obvious 
when you write it, and getting people to step back and, and think about it is is really really tough. Um, mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time talking about documentation. We didn't actually spend too much time about talking about README. Are there any killer features that kind of help kickstart the documentation process? That maybe the users might be interested in. Sure. So we do documentation. We both do product documentation and API documentation. And there's a lot of stuff where, like, because I said like the marketing thing, we think APIs are very you know core to people's business. So you want to be able to customize it. We do all that stuff. You know, ways to write paragraphs of text, ways to do support. One thing that we have that is feels really cool to me is in comments you can write the documentation and just connect it all up and it'll automatically keep your docs up to date, which is really nice. And that's just the reference guides. Like that doesn't help with the actual, you know, writing of the real docs. But to keep the reference docs up to date with your code is really nice. Um, and you can just put it as part of your CLI and just auto-generate the docs and oh, yeah. keep them updated. Do they do version tagging? I uh, yeah. So we do the way we do it is uh, for better or for worse, use uh, Open API specs, uh, which is uh, used to be called Swagger, as our way of kind of the standard that you upload, and that allows you to to have a version in there. And the reason I was hesitant is because uh, I have a very love hate relationship with Swagger. Um, <laughs> on our end, it's really nice because we just have one format that we're like use this format, and people can use it, and and that's nice. But uh, I think the hate I have for it, I've started to realize, isn't is a little misdirected. It's not really that I hate Swagger. Swagger or Open API initiative, Open API spec is the best tool, I guess, for what they're trying to do in the sense that RESTful APIs are very, very complex and Swagger has relished in that complexity and has thousands of options so you can document any API. Whereas my problem with that, I think, is that I don't think everyone should conform to any specific standard or anything, but the whole point of APIs is supposed to be a, you know, you're supposed to be able to like connect two systems together or whatever. And this kind of no best practices, do whatever you want type mentality. And there, of course, are best practices. Everyone has different opinions and all that. But um, it's just such a wild west with APIs that if I were to describe an API to any of you and you didn't really know computers that well, I can make it sound really great. Like, yeah, a RESTful API is a standard interface where two systems can connect and talk and share data. And like, you'd think, oh, it's really easy, just plug and play. But like, the amount of just like little details that you need to know, like the things that keep you and me. Employed by you know the the idiosyncrasies stuff, it gets a little taxing. I think when there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of configurations and way people do their APIs and way people pass in their API keys and stuff like that. So I think that's my my hatred towards Swagger. Is I think APIs should be really simple to use, and it seems like they should be really simple because it's just in concept you throw data at it and you get data back. But like even little things, and I could t- sit here and obviously tell you the difference, and you know all of us could. But things like okay, so you're passing in data. Is it a path param? Is it a query param? Is it a form data? Is it a body data? Is it a cookie or is it a header? Like that's six different ways to pass in data. And like I could of course explain like you know oh well the API should be this or the reason why it's this way is whatever. But like or little things like. Gets can't have a body, deletes can't have a body, but posts can't have a body. And like, again, I know the difference, I know why, and all that, but like, it just becomes very, in my mind, very confusing to explain to anyone. And that's kind of my frustration with Swagger is that it kind of, it's not Swagger's fault. They came along and were just trying to document how to build an API. It's not, they did nothing wrong. It just gets a little frustrating to me, like how complex something that should be very simple is. So that's my that's my swagger rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to transition us to picks. I really appreciate you coming and talking about documentation, both of you guys. Uh, I've actually learned a lot, and I've actually opened up my mind to like, oh, what am I doing wrong? But anyway, I do a lot of wrong. But what I don't do wrong is picks. So you guys are familiar picks. Uh, listeners are familiar picks at this point. Anything you're jamming on, uh, hence Jamstack. 
So my first pick is actually tortillas. Uh, I know this is going <laughs> to sound weird, but a couple episodes ago, I would talked about how I was watching Narcos as a. I would only watch Narcos on the airplane. It was like my <laughs> thing to do because you can download episodes on Netflix. That's not the pick, but I was watching one of the later episodes in the second season where um, the antagonist was actually cooking tortillas on an open flame on his gas stove. Okay. And when mm-hmm. I saw that, I was like, wow. I learned that from my uncle. That's how you eat corn tortillas. Because <laughs> uh, I used to microwave them to kind of like make sure they kind of gel better and all that stuff. And like they always taste better when you get them on a taco truck or anywhere else. And mind you, I'm from Florida, so like we don't have tons of Mexicans there. So tortillas is not like the big mm-hmm. meal option. So if, excuse my ignorance. Um, I usually always went with flour tortillas, but now I love corn tortillas because in the Bay Area we have like gas stoves for some reason. And I cook all my t- tortillas on an open flame on the gas stove. So uh, check out the, the last episode of season two of Narcos, and I think you'll you'll get, get catch my drift. Uh, but it's it's pretty awesome. So I I've, I've been making tacos and pretty much a lot of tacos. I feel like uh, you should clarify for people who don't know Narcos that it's not a cooking show. So yeah. uh, they're gonna be very surprised when they're like, oh, I love cooking yeah, shows. Don't, yeah, don't don't watch it with an appetite. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a way different cooking show. They don't cook food on that show. But um, anyway, we'll leave it at that. I once that made me? tortillas by hand, my corn tortillas. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, that's uh, step two of this journey. Of yeah, my yeah, you totally yeah. should do it. Yeah. Uh, any picks you guys got for me? Well, one thing actually that I am I'm doing later tonight, I'm teaching a workshop for Girl Develop It, and um, uh, pick. yeah, and it's uh, something that I've been involved with for a few years. I actually took a couple of workshops a few years ago. Girl Develop It teaches low cost coding workshops to adult women, despite the name, and do that across the country. We have like I think it's like forty six chapters or something like that, and also teach. People of all genders, but the focus is on women. And so it's mostly like I'd say 90% or more women in the classes. So you don't represent your gender when you ask a question, which is kind of nice. (laughs) But it's a really great organization. And if there's anyone who is interested in learning coding or you know someone who is, I highly recommend getting involved with your chapter. Or if you're interested in volunteering to help out. That's another thing Ooh. that's really cool. So is, I know there's a chapter in the South Bay. Is there one in SF? Yeah, there's here? one in San Francisco. Okay. It's actually one of the biggest. Oh, um, really? It's actually really big, been oh. around for a while. Um, that's where I'm teaching tonight. And it's really just a great group of people putting it together. And I've been involved in a variety of like nonprofit groups around coding and things like that. And and there is one also in San Jose, and there's one that just started recently in the East Bay. So. Yeah, I'm sure you probably check the website. They probably have the chapters listed. Yes, Girl they do it. at girldevelopit.com. Mm-hmm. Cool, awesome. Listeners, check it out. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Uh, I'll land someplace between tortillas and uh, <laughs> teaching underrepresented uh, minorities how to improve <laughs> uh, their careers. Um, one of my recent obsessions for team bonding stuff. Um, you know, because now I've gone from programmer to kind of being more of a manager and stuff. My go-to obsession, as anyone at my team will tell you, is uh, for team bonding is escape rooms. So uh, every time we travel, I make my entire team do an escape room. They have done so many escape rooms, I forced them to do it, but uh, they're really good for like kind of working together as a team and uh, figuring stuff out and uh, communicating. And for people who've never done one, it's basically like an hour-long themed puzzle where you know maybe the topic's Sherlock Holmes or a diner or something like that. And there's a vague storyline. And it's just seven or eight puzzles or eight puzzles, and it's less about figuring things out and more about communication. Like you need like two people, or you need to kind of think of a good way to 
to, to figure stuff out. And I find myself a lot of times like, you know, yelling at people and being like, oh, that's a shitty way to communicate because you're frustrated and they're like, there's pressure and it doesn't really matter, of course, because it's just an hour long and who cares. But like the clock's ticking down, there's pressure. And uh, that's my go to uh, team bonding experience recently. So uh, that's, that's my random pick. So if the team doesn't collaborate enough and get out of the escape room, do you hire a new oh, staff? Oh, they get fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my seventh team at this point. It's not going well. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, They're still in the room, actually. Yeah. Cool. I just leave them there. Well, if anybody's looking for a group of engineers uh, to hire, <laughs> they can't solve puzzles, but they can write code. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my pick. So someplace in between the two, I guess. But uh, Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely in between the two. I don't know if it beats tortillas, but uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. All right. Well, Greg, thanks again for coming and talking about Read Me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking about Doc Talk Potation with oh, me, yeah, Jessica. Thank you. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 